Essential Listening by Erasmus of Rotterdam. Every aspect of startup life makes it onto this unique podcast. If you're entranced with the world of startups, the guys will help you take off those rose-tinted specks and face reality. But if there's a corner of the universe you care enough about to make their problems your problem, then a regular dose of Startup Diary will help you discover how you could make a difference. And if you can make a difference, then just maybe you can make a business. I absolutely love that review. And guys, if you haven't left us that review yet, you know the drill. Open the podcast app, hit five stars, and tell us why you listen to this show. It motivates me and Harry to get here as early as we do to drop these shows. On that note, let's get into today's episode of the Startup Diary podcast. So Adam, on today's episode of the Startup Diary, episode 233, uh, I want to cover something that was kind of raised during uh, our day out at Gymshark. Day out sounds like it was a fun day. Um, it was a fun day. <laughs> it, it I enjoyed was, it. Uh, a Startup Diary meetup hosted at Gymshark. Um, I want to talk about the first, finding your first loyal customers. Yeah. Um, that seems to be a key area um, for anyone that's starting any business the goal is not to <clears throat> everyone just wants to have the big sales up front um but the thing that kept coming up was kind of community and having people that are loyal to the brand and loyal customers loyalty 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 yep. <laughs> so like how do we how does anyone get those first loyal customers so yeah, it's um it's a really good point and i think you can probably swap out the word loyalty with product market fit uh, and that is a term that sort of floats around and what that basically means is you've created a product that as it sounds is fit for purpose Mm. for the market as in people buy your product and they get value from it so they either are happy they've bought it or if it's a software as a service product they continue to buy it as in on a subscription or if it's a consumable product um, let's just say shampoo they love the shampoo that much that when they go and buy it they always choose your brand so they, they feel the value that your brand creates. Why are you laughing? I was just thinking, why shampoo? I don't of, know. Of all the things for you to say, I looked shampoo at your head is and thought, not shampoo. something that we purchase anymore. <laughs> so one of the things that came up on the actual Gymshark day mm. was, like you say, this, this continuous message of people needing to take the step one step back and think about what is happening at ground level around the people that you are currently selling to compared to thinking about how do I get from 500 customers to 5,000. So I wanted to sort of just touch on this on the show in terms of the hardest thing ever is scaling your business. Before you even think about scaling it, you need to make sure that you've got a product that people love. And I think there's there's this risk at this point in time where everyone thinks of, email marketing software, everyone thinks of social media, run Facebook ads. You can run them against very, very specific audiences. So in theory, you should be able to just put money in the top of the funnel. 
And once you've got that mechanism working right, you can just churn money out the bottom. Put a pound in, get one pound ten out, everyone's happy. And to be honest, there's some businesses that can do that in like a flash in the pan a period in time. But they are product businesses that I can't remember. There was this guy off Love Island and he made some water bottle that was like branded like a specific water bottle that was around yeah, Love the, Island. The Love Island water bottle. Is that a thing? There's, on Love Island, they have water bottles that have their names on, on like a, looks like handwritten squiggle. They sell for like 15 quid. Yeah. So a guy made a fortune selling those through Facebook ads. But you have to, we have to be really clear that that person doesn't have a business. They have a product. That has got a lifespan. He just works out the mechanics of making a product that is great for this mm. point in time that after the violin ends and that all that shit finally stops is <laughs> it never stops. His 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 product will stop selling. But what we're really talking about today is building a brand that has some longevity to it. So what that results in is not just having a product that people like, mm. it's having a brand that people buy into. And the way that you do that isn't through mass email marketing. It's not through very systematic, dynamic Facebook ads. What it is, it's really having a deep understanding of your, I call it, your first 100 customers. So what I want everyone to do, if you're running a business or thinking about running a business, especially if you've got that privileged position right now of not getting to market, because when you're in, when you're in the market, you've got pressure. You, you make pressure for yourself, like I have a business now, I have a product, it's on a shelf, it needs to sell. And once you're in that position, you've got this extra pressure to you. So if anyone's thinking about starting a business and even if they're those early days of getting customers and 100 customers might not be relevant to every business, you might be a consultant that only needs 20 customers. Mm. Fine. But on that note, what I want you to do is spend loads of time with your first two customers to really deeply understand the value that you drive. So let's just take an example where you've got a product which is direct to consumer. So Gymshark, a great example, didn't know I'd go down this route, but they have a product that does not exist in retail and they sell direct to the consumer. What was, in, what was motivational for me off the back of the Gymshark day is they, they didn't talk about just the product. They, they really cared and a deep understanding of the feeling that mm. that product creates in their customer to the point they'll do product innovation. And if when the person, one of their ambassadors, one of the team members puts that on and they have that meh like that, okay, mm-hmm. it fits. Unless it makes them go, Richard referenced this point and I hope he's okay with me sharing this. And it's this feeling of when you're five years old you put on some new trainers and they make you feel like you can run faster. And that's the sort of mentality that Gymshark have with their branding. They want you to put them on and feel different. And when you have that relentless focus on your customer and the value that they drive of it, that allows you to actually build a brand. So to bring it to something a bit more relatable, uh, to us at least, um, why don't we talk about the Expert Trades app? Because we kind of we went through a similar scenario when we went from a free app to a paid service. Um, and we had to do all sorts of things like trying to figure out what people really wanted from it and things like that. How do we get the first 100 customers, like you're saying, to be truly loyal to our service? Yeah, and I think ours is an interesting transition because like you said, we launched our app for free because it was like a, it was a, it was a sideline to our business. At that point in time, we were trying to work out how we generate leads and we we're doing this homeowner-facing offering. So we built an app because we were struggling to generate the leads for our members mm. from homeowners that we built this app to say, listen, we know you're not getting the leads you want, but here's this app to do your admin, which we also know you hate doing, and that was free. And they came knocking on the door, and we're like, they stopped annoying us about leads. They were like, actually, can you build more features to the app? And we're like, no, that's not our core business. And that was, firstly, that was an indicator that there was another pain point that we could solve. 
And you only actually get that if you've got a relationship with your customers. Because what most companies go through is they churn customers because they sign up because they want to, they want, oh, I've got a free profile, I'm going to get free leads. They sign up, boom, I don't get free leads, I close my account and I carry on. But the way that we positioned our business was, firstly, we want to help trades professionals. Mm. The way that we do that right now is we're going to help you win free work. And that didn't work. But because we said top line, we want to help trades professionals, they're like, actually, you can help us with this instead. And that was about really driving the value of what we do as a business. We're not just a lead generation business. We're not just an app business. We're not this, we're not that. We help serve our customers. We help tradespeople yeah. build a business. So we did that. Um, and then we were like, actually, we took a step back and said, this is actually a product that we think that our members will really love if we build it right. So there's two different lines of mentality there. We can either say, cool, build the product, sell it. And at that point in time, we'd raised a small amount of cash, raised 60K at that point. And we said, we've got this option right now. We can try and build a product and sell it. But the problem for me, what that created was I knew that I would be in a position where I have to build a product and really drive the sales, Mm. even though it might not be fit for purpose because I need to get the money in the door. So that's one of the core reasons I decided to raise capital. And that's one of the benefits. And I know I always flip-flop between whether you should raise and shouldn't raise. Mm. But what that allowed me to do is raise a quarter of a million quid and basically say, I want to build this product, but I want to have the time to spend with 100 people, 200 people, whatever that number is, to really get that product right. So that's what raising capital did for us. It allowed us to basically raise some capital to develop the product and then spend time with these customers. And how we did that was really interesting. We went and met them. Like I spent time in a van and I was like, okay, so I'll just be his mate in a van all day watching him how he does his paperwork, watching how he does his admin, watching how he in, like, interacts with his customers. And it's those sort of touch points that we then brought into a product development. But what that allowed us to do as a business is really show the community that we're not just trying to build an app and sh- shove it out. We're trying to deeply understand what the pain points are. And it also long-term means we don't build features they don't need. Mm. So there's loads of benefits to really understanding the customer. So you're in a van with yep. John, the plumber. Darren um, was the last one I remember. Darren. <laughs> yeah. We've got, actually got pictures of that. Um, you were looking a lot younger. I was looking a lot younger. <laughs> and you had a quiff. I had. had. Um, I used shampoo back then. <laughs> I use shampoo now. But like, it actually made an impact. Yeah. yeah. Just a little. I massage it in, man. No, oh, that's nice. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So you're in, you're in the van with Darren. Yep. You're figuring out his pain points. You're, you're making it really personal. Um, and you're solving his problem. Obviously. On that note, just to rudely interrupt is I'm not just seeing what he's doing. I'm relentlessly asking why mm. I do this. Why? Because they're why and not letting them get off with one answer. Dig in. Why? Why? Five why, whys. why? Five whys. Go in deep to really understand because they might just say, I just don't know another way to do it. Or, or it's just easy. It's easy. There's, there's always a yeah. find the root reason. Don't let anyone that you're doing customer surveying with give you a stock answer. Mm. So, in. So you're, you're with Darren, you're asking him why, you're really getting to the bottom of what he does on a daily basis and understanding how he can improve. And that's fine when you've got five people yep. to meet. Um, but, but when you've got a hundred customers, you can't be in a hundred vans a week. You can't be in a thousand. Like when, it, when the company scales, hopefully yep. scales because you, you're solving everyone's problems. Like how do you continue to... How do you continue to follow up on everyone's pain points and continue to solve all the problems that they might have? 
Yeah, and to be honest, this is such a big topic that this could go on for the next two hours, but we'll we'll try and and we are, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll try and wrap it wrap it up in something that's helpful. The idea of doing those first, spending the time and Paul Graham, Y Combinator says do things that don't scale. Big believer in that because there's no way that I can go and spend 365 days a year in a van with a trade to understand what they need. The idea of spending that much time with a small number of people is you save yourself loads of time in the long run, which is why I think doing things that don't scale actually results in you scaling faster because I really see, watch, take everything in in terms of how they're doing their day job. From that point, your job is to take that feedback and then take those five customers, as you said, to actually finding out if that's relatable for your next 50 customers in that same target market. So I spent time with five heating engineers. So then what I do is I then go out to my community, which I've built, and find another 45 heating engineers and say, cool guys, I spent time with these five guys and here's the pain points that I've found. And here's where I pick up the phone. Too many people go straight to email. Mm. Email, survey, whatever, the automated way. That's, that's because it's easier though. That's and because, you, and well, you that's can the get reason. a spreadsheet and send in bulk. Yeah, but people at this point in your business, data is only valuable one at scale and two when you've got product market fit. Right now, what you're trying to understand is what do I need to build mm. to make sure that they love my product, which is largely an emotional response from people, which you don't get through spreadsheets, which is why I was listening to a podcast the other day, which he said it's usually important for your engineers to sit on the phone with your customers because when it goes through you as our customer success person, it loses the emotion and it becomes a very, this is a bug, fix this. And that moves up and down the priority totally, list totally based on that. how we in turn, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. is based on how our developers I, perceive I that feel, problem. I feel the pain when it comes in, but then when I relay that message, there's no it's on a dock. There's no here's their struggle. It's just here's a problem that it's, exists. Exactly. There's, a, there's no relationship to the issues that it's causing. But it's hugely important in those early stages when you're building something to one ask the reason why and understand the pain points and really like own them. Hmm. Then when you pick up the phone and say, Listen, I was with I was with John and when a customer called him up, he put it on page you've probably heard me say this sentence three years ago. He put it on page two hundred and seventy four of the Screwfits catalogue. What, how are you, when a customer calls you up, how are you logging that as a lead and how do you follow up? He was like, I do what John does. I find a scrap bit of paper and then it lives on my dashboard. Yeah. And we go, well, how many leads do you think you've lost? I don't know. And I don't <laughs> how know. How many magazines have I misplaced? Exactly. I don't know. Exactly that. I don't know what I don't know. And because they don't understand the opportunities that they're missing out on, it doesn't cause them any pain. But then when you kind of go, okay, so for the next sort of week, can we try and do something different where you log on a, a notepad to start with. <laughs> just, just get a notepad in the van. And then when you follow up a week later with a phone call, they're like, actually, yeah, like I had nine leads and I've, I've actually closed six of them off because I followed up. And we could go down a whole another episode about the importance of follow-up. Mm. But what I'm trying to get into is this, this customer journey of trying to get your first 100 customers doesn't happen through automation. It happens through picking, like spending time, picking up the phone, and really trying to understand the pain points you get from these customers. Are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's funny because <laughs> nowadays no one no one talks to anyone on the phone. I think I've actually spent more time on the phone with someone that's trying to scam me <laughs> than I have my own friends and family. Because we always just text, WhatsApp, like voice record. I know we were still talking, but it's like you submit a voice yep. statement to someone and then they've got as much time as they need to think about it and come back to you. When someone rings you on the phone, 
you've got them like with an email you can get it you can process it you can think about it you can forget about it for six weeks and then come back to it later yeah but when someone's on the phone to you you're you're basically face to face with them but that's as as good as face to face there's a complete side note there's a bunch of different reasons why now you're getting scam phone calls because the inbox is so difficult to get into it's because they know they can get hold of me that way (laughs) (laughs) but the the key thing is for that me is what you just said is that two-way dialogue Mm. And when you're trying to build a business, what you want is you want someone to give you a commitment for, of time, not cash. I wasn't charging John, Darren, whatever his name is. I wasn't charging that, that guy. I wanted his time, which is super valuable. And as soon as someone invests their time to help you build a business, that's when you get a loyal customer. Mm. Which is a, I know we've come back full circle to that, but when you get your first hundred customers to give you feedback, and it's not just feedback, you take feedback and you action it. All of a sudden, like, those hundred customers feel like they own. I don't know why I did that now because we're on the podcast, but it's sort of that... We, we've helped build this mentality, mentality from your customers and that's what you want from your first 100 customers. You want to build a tribe around your business Yeah, that and really I, believe that you want to drive something valuable to them and you're going to spend all the time in the world. You're going to, you're going to sit in the guy's van for a day to understand it because what he then does is like, Jesus, the founder of that company came and spent a day with me watching me do paperwork mm-hmm. because then it shows you're actually trying to really understand them and fix it. And, and, then, and then that also filters down because then when you can't, be even calling every person that signs up or, or yep. joins the, or buys from you or whatever. Um, you've got a hundred, a thousand people that are going to stick up for you when, for example, John's a loyal customer. Paul is a new customer. Worst case scenario, they don't have a great experience, yep. but John's there to to fight your corner and say, oh no, trust me, that they, they, they will look out for you, that they they might just be busy, but trust me, they'll get back to you because I've had such a good experience with them that they've always come around and solved any problems that might have had. 100%, and that's why people have heard me in meetings and presentations that we don't have customers, we have a community. And that's mm-hmm. what separates businesses. Yeah. C- customers are very transactional. Yeah, because you just up and leave, wouldn't you? If you, if you, if you have a crap service, you if, just move to another one that's cheaper. If the ROI on what I've put into this business isn't profitable, mm. I cancel. We are launching a product that competes with Checker Trade. They have 30,000 tradespeople. They have 30,000 customers. We have a community. That's why we'll win. Because as soon as we reduce the value of their product and service with what they charge, it becomes very transactional for the trade. Simple as that. What I want everyone listening to this show to think about is how do you build a community around your product? How do you create your 100 first customers that then become brand ambassadors for what you mm. do? Because like you say, that's the thing that scales. When we bring on our 25,000th customer buying our product, they will likely be our 100,000th community member. Mm. So we've already got 75,000 people that go, I like these guys. I believe in them. So when that new boy comes in, he's like, oh, this isn't working. We've already got this feeling in our community, which is if it doesn't work now, trust me, these boys fix it because mm. that's what they do. So we go from doing in-person stuff, then we go from doing calls, spending time with the customer, making making detailed notes, and then working out on the phone, they tell you something, why? Tell you something, why? Tell you something, why? Really dig in. Then that's the point where you can start to try and take that, build it into a product, give it back to those customers and see does it fix the problem. And this is where I see a lot of companies making a mistake right now is they get the product, they get the feedback, do loads of work on feedback, build a product, try and sell it. You need to make sure the product's fit for purpose before you try and dump money into scaling the business. Get to that position where if I gave our app to a trade for three months, said use that for three months, I then walked in 
to his builder's merchant where he's stood there waiting for the guy behind the counter to serve him and he's doing a quote on his app and I just said, pass me your phone and deleted the app. How upset would that trade be that you can never use my service again? If he goes, meh, I failed. Mm-hmm. I should not be marketing that business. I should be going back to the drawing board to work out what makes it truly valuable. If he kicks and screams because he wants that app, he's built his business on it, it does X, Y, and Z, it saves him much time, I've got him. It's emotional. I've done my job. I can then scale the business. And it's making sure you don't try and scale before you've got that emotional punch behind your business. If I took that product away, would you be upset? Nah, don't try and scale it. Yes, I'd be livid because of X, scale it. But if they've purchased it in the first place, there's obviously something there that has driven them, um, uh, that they've seen value in. So, so you've already validated the product as worth someone's time and yep. money. Um, what you're saying is rather than just saying, okay, someone's bought it, let's just try and sell it to everyone else. What you're saying is we really need to zero in on exactly what the motivation behind the purchase market that feature or benefit yep. and then sell that because it will basically sell itself in. A hundred percent. So it's a really, really good point. If you've got a product that's a one-time purchase, don't worry too much about everything we've mm-hmm. said in this episode because a good sales and marketing effort will build you a profitable business. Fine. If you've got this thing that's a one-time off the shelf, go and buy it, last you for life, crack on, do that. If you've got a product that requires any repeat purchase, any referral sales, any subscription, what you need to do is what you've just said. Understand the motivations why they bought it in the first place and make sure three months on, six months on, whatever the time cycle is, is why did you buy it? Let's take, uh, let's take Dan Bridges, who's got British Bearded Baby. Why mm. did you buy our product? And they go, because I really believe in what you're standing for around it being organic. Great. Why haven't you rebought? I forgot about you. Okay, cool. So you still love the product? Yeah. Can I, do you want to buy one now while I'm on the phone? Yeah, cool. I love your product. Cool. Mm-hmm. Then Dan goes... There's not a product problem. Yeah. I just need to do better marketing. Yeah. Or love the product. Love what you stand for. Great. Do you want to rebuy? No. Why? Because uh, I've got this other thing that I'm using now. Great. Cool. Glad you've got a product that you love. What are you using now? Name of product. Why do you buy that? Uh, it's easy. I, I, I just walk down the shop. Yeah. I don't need to go online and buy it. I can just walk down to the shop. It's also organic. X, Y, and Z. Cool. So if I got it to you nice and easy, what would you prefer? Oh no, I still really like your products, which is the pain to get. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, if yeah, you just yeah. go into that and understand understand what is the motivation as to why they bought it, and then if they've got any reasons why they won't continue to buy, fix that, then go and sell. If, you've, if you're in a position like Dan who's sold to customers, his job right now is to go to every single one of those customers and say, what do you think? Talk to me. I'm the founder of the British Bearded Baby and I want your opinion. You bought something off a website. We told Dan, handwrite, and a note, every order. Thank you for your order. I'm probably going to give you a call to say thank you. Just do that. Put it, in, put it in the box, send it out. They'll be like, oh, that's cool. Then when you call, they'll be like, holy shit. That, because then they're like, yeah. cool. And it's not calling up to say, oh, can I put you on a subscription? It's calling up to say, thank you. Yeah. You've been using it for a couple of weeks now. What do you think? And don't, don't hold back. What do you think? Because I want to build something that you love to use every single day. Yeah. Okay. Take the feedback. On that, actually, I actually bought something something random from Amazon not too long ago, and you, and I, you get I notice it a lot now. But you get a lot of messages that say thank you for purchasing. If you've got any issues, don't hesitate to drop us a message or anything like that. But it feels very copy paste send to every customer on every purchase. Yep. But yeah, that 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 phone call is and like you, like at the end of the day, it it could be poor from sales. Yeah, but 
<laughs> so it's it's just a thought that someone still made the time to follow up and not sell or try and get you to subscribe or whatever just to say thank you. Goes leaps and bounds. That's the there's a big movement in terms of the entrepreneurial ecosystem right now, which is the way the the way your company cycle will go is the founder does everything. He does the sales, marketing, product development, after sales, accounting, all that crap. Then he starts to grow the business. Say he because it's me, but he or she starts to grow the business. And they get to a point where they've got a product in the market and then they go and sell it. But then what happens is they make enough money by selling it that they then recruit a salesperson, then they sell more. Then the next person that people bring into the business at this point is a customer success person, which is less about selling. It's more about picking up the phone to your existing customers and saying, hey, you bought something from us. You're on our office package. You're paying us every single month and we love you for it. I can see that you actually haven't logged into it for the last 10 days, but you're paying for it. Is there any reason that you're not using it? How can I help you be more successful with our product? Did you know that if you press those three buttons, you can use a current location to save you time on your quotes? Did you know that one button, you can click it to convert to an invoice? I want to save you time, John. Give me three minutes and I'm going to save you more than 30. Let me help you. Not in a sales way. They're already paying us. Yeah. But what this does is it prevents them from churning in the future. So there is a, it impacts the bottom line. But when our customers get that phone call, it's, huh, you didn't try and sell me a website. Didn't try and sell me SEO. He just wanted me to be successful. That's what we're trying to aim towards. We're trying to build a business to the point where you have customers that are loyal, a team that understands the mission, and then from there, every single customer you bring in, whether it's number 10 or number 10,000, your job is to make them successful. Because if you don't, you haven't got a business. You've got a product. So you've got to ask yourself, are you building a business or are you building a product? If you want to build a business, make sure that every single customer gets the value that you've promised them and if not, do not worry about scaling it until you fix that problem. And it might come down to you market your business the wrong way. That might be the issue. Your, your product might have a certain value prop that you're just miscommunicating. So then it's like, oh, actually, everyone's buying it. Everyone's buying our office package because it does oil certificates. It doesn't. That's why they churn. Our app right now does domestic gas certificate. I'm going very detailed. But if I start <laughs> to talk... Like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't do oil yet. <laughs> if I start targeting like oil engineers, mm. they're going to come into the app because it says gas certificates and they go, ah, this isn't what I do. So sign up for a month and disappear. Mm. So now we say like domestic gas, oil coming soon, all that good stuff. How you market your business sets expectations. I could, You can tell I can keep going on this. Yeah. In terms of where you open the show, have we got to the point that we wanted to get to to help the listeners? find your first 100 loyal customers and do follow the th- up chase them on the phone do knock the th- on the door do the things that don't scare- knock on the door <laughs> do what you need to do like don't my biggest fear for someone listening to this show is they have a product that is good they have some money to spend on marketing whether it's on a credit card whether it's a personal loan whether they've just got some savings and they start to pump money into a business that isn't quite ready to put money into mm. and it's that point in time when people that are Young in the business should be doing the things that do not scale. You've got time. And what you need to do is think, I don't need to impact the bottom line with new business. The easiest business you're ever going to win is recurring business. Mm. It's much easier to retain a customer month to month and win a new customer. So just make sure that you are, you are retaining all your existing customers before you think about bringing new people on. Set yourself some goals. Speak to some customers. Dedicate an hour every day of just picking up the phone and speaking to your customers while you can. Because I promise you in two years' time as this thing scales, you don't have the time to do that. But you'll build this foundation and this culture and this structure within the company that means that people in the team understand the importance of picking up the phone and speaking to your customers and making them successful. It all starts now. It all starts now when you're starting this business out. Whatever you do now will set the tone for how you grow this in the next 10 years. 
So just have a customer-led focus, make sure they're being successful. If they're not buying or they're canceling, when you get a cancellation email, you should not go, shit, I've lost a customer, I need to go get another one. You should be thinking, God, what have I done so wrong that made that person open my app up, go to cancel, hit cancel, and not tell me why? I haven't created a relationship where they feel safe to speak to me about, Adam, I'm not getting the value from this product because of X, Y, and Z. Can you change it? No, sorry, that's not for at least another year. You should cancel and come back to me in a year. That's what I do. Adam, can, we, can you do this in the app? No, probably in about a year's time. What do you think I should do? Cancel. Go use something else. And when, when we fix your problem, I know you're going to come back. Adam, your website package doesn't do this. Cancel. Go use that service. That's generally my approach. Because I don't care about owning them for the next 12 months of that annual recurring revenue of that period. I want the lifetime value of that customer. I don't want to piss them off and they go somewhere else. I want to know that whatever we do is the best for them. Simple as that. So if someone cancels, someone doesn't buy, call them up and ask why. And it's going to be hard. They're going to give you some like honest feedback. Your product shit. Cool. What does that mean? <laughs> Where's it shit? Where's it falling over? Why is it bad? Give me five minutes. Cool. Why should you give me five minutes your product shit? That's what someone's thinking right now when they listen to the show. How can I call someone that's cancelled and why do they give me five minutes they're not happy? Cool. John, you've cancelled. Have you got five minutes for me? No. John, I want to know how I can make this product better. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your feedback. And if I can make the product better, in six months' time, I'm going to call you and say, John, I took your feedback on board. I fixed the problem. Can I give you three, three months to see if it's a good fit? Can I get five minutes of your John, is it worth five minutes of your time right now to potentially save you two hours worth of admin in six months? Yes. Done. Get into the conversation. Pick up the phone, people. Speak to your customers. I could, you know, I could. I'm and on going. that note, you I'm can going. you can email us, <laughs> not call, email Harrison at experttrades.com. Two T's in the middle, one S at the end. And if you want to carry on this conversation, DM me on Instagram and let me know how you are interacting with your first customers. Every customer counts. On the Instagram, we are Startup Podcast. Harry does some cool creative for the show and it's a nice way to see what's happening behind the scenes. Hopefully, you've taken away something from this episode. If you have any follow-up questions about what you can do better, email us in. We want to carry on the conversation. You guys aren't just listeners. You are part of a community. And remember, take action or unsubscribe. Hello, it's Jamie from My Dad Wrote a Porno. Now, Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without my dad writing some really terrible erotic literature. And Rocky Flintstone has not disappointed this year because 2018's Christmas Porno Special is available right now exclusively on Spotify for two weeks only to get you in the festive mood. Not only that, but you can listen to all four seasons of My Dad Wrote a Porno, as well as thousands of other amazing podcasts, all for your oral pleasure. Just head over to Spotify and start listening now.